0: Blue wire.
1: Touchdown pass, by 4 in
0: the 5-0-4. Jackson Jackson himself, Looking at him, dark back and forth, oh, he broke his ankles, he is Houdini. Watson stays on his Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Mayor, of another week, and we are still in quarantine. I hope everyone is staying safe. During these tough times in our nation. On this week's episode, we have a very special guest, former Jets and Dolphin General Manager Mike Tannenbaum joins the podcast. And we really touched base on a little bit of everything from free agency to the draft. How will the draft run this year? How are teams preparing? Will there be less trades? We also went down memory lane and talked about the night Laramie Tunsell was drafted. Mike Tannenbaum was in the draft room on that wild night. We also talked about his days from the Jet including the Durell Rivas holdout, that big saga in 2010. All that and much more is coming up. Before we go to that, a quick word from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. With currently no sports, no NBA, no NHL, no MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you are wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, still has hundreds of sports and events and games to wager on. Or, let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and. Blackjack. It is all open 24 hours a day. It is all online. And that includes their $750,000 poker series. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So now, here it is, my 30-minute discussion with the former Jets and Dolphin general manager, Mike Tanamount. Alrighty, joining me now here on the MySports Update Football Podcast, he is the former general manager of the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins. You now see him on ESPN as an NFL front office insider. It is Mike Tannenbaum. Mike, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me here this week, Mike. I hope you and your family are all staying safe, doing well during these tough times in our country. I want to start here by talking about free agency. And for the most part, all the big names are off the board except for one, and that is Jadavian Clowney. Why is that the case? Why have teams been so hesitant to sign him?
1: You know, I think there's three interesting players that kind of transcend both pro and college right now. He's one, Cam Newton's the second, and Tua Tongvaloa from University of Alabama the third. And I think given what's going on in our country right now, those three players in particular um, are dealing with the fact that you can't do physicals right now. So I think that's uh, a question, Mark, that all three are, are starting to deal with.
0: Right, and you mentioned the physical. Clowney, after the season, had core muscle surgery. He's also dealt with a sports hernia thing um, in the past, so teams not being able to have their doctors and their own physicians go check out the player, give them a physical in their facility, that could definitely be an issue. And I've seen a lot of people talk about Clowney, that he's not worth the money that he's asking for. And, you know, people say that he only had three sacks last year and that is not enough. But he is the type of player that I call the... Screw the play-up type of a player. He doesn't really give you the numbers that fans want to see, but he is making an impact when he's out there. I mean, you can make the argument that he is the reason why they won that Monday night game versus the 49ers last year. I mean, what he did to Joe Staley was incredible. Now, a pass rusher who has signed the contract... Is Alden Smith, the former 49ers first-round pick, he agreed to a one-year deal with the Dallas Cowboys, a move that really came out of nowhere after he's been out of the league for almost five years. What did you think of the Dallas Cowboys giving him another shot in the NFL?
1: I liked it. Uh, I really like um, the, the idea of the risk reward. Um, I'm sure there's no guaranteed money. He interacted with Jim Tom Sula and it makes a ton of sense to me. So if you hit you hit big, if not, there's not a lot of downside to it.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the low-risk, high-reward. I mean, a team for Dallas that has already paid big money to players like Cooper, like Elliott, like Demarcus Lawrence, and they're trying to do the same with Dak Prescott, making signings like this one makes a lot of sense. A player who could possibly be a big part of your team in 2020, and you're not paying him a lot. As you said, none of the money is guaranteed, or very little of it is guaranteed. So a low-risk, high-reward move. And people forget Alden Smith was just so good in the NFL when he came in. I mean, he had more sacks in the first two years in the NFL than anyone else in the history of the league. He had 33 and a half sacks in his first two seasons. Dallas hoping just to get some of that production now in 2020. Now, a lot has happened here this offseason. We saw some big trades. We saw some big names changing teams. What was the one move that really confused you, the one head-scratching move from this entire offseason so far?
1: Probably the DeAndre Hawkins trade, um, just because he's such a great player. And I know, look, you're going to have to pay Deshaun Watson and you can't keep everybody. But I would have worked really, really hard to figure out a way to keep DeAndre Hopkins just because he's such a good player.
0: Well, Mike, that is probably the easy answer to the question. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins to Arizona is one of the most confusing moves of the offseason, and people are still confused by it. You know, as a former GM, Mike, I was wondering, what is your opinion on how Bill O'Brien is running the show in Houston? I mean, he's doing the job now as a general manager for two years, almost two years, and he has made moves that has stunned so many people. What are your thoughts on how he is operating the show over there?
1: Well, you know, again, when you sit in those seats, you have to make hard decisions. You can't keep them all. I understand the, the idea that you can't pay everybody, and sometimes you have to make incredibly hard decisions, like possibly trading DeAndre Hopkins. I guess the, the part I, I would struggle with is if you compare the Hopkins trade back-to-back with Stephon Diggs, obviously Minnesota did a much better job of maximizing the value they got for the player. So it wasn't necessarily the decision in as much as the value they got in return.
0: No, you're right. My question really is, Does is Bill O'Brien fit to be a general manager in the NFL based off what you're seeing? Because you mentioned the Stephon Diggs trade, and the way Minnesota handled that situation was so much better than what Houston did with DeAndre Hopkins. Because Diggs made it clear he did not want to be there. He was posting on social media that he did not want to be there, and the Vikings downplayed it as if it's nothing. And privately, they were taking, they were listening to offers on Stephon Diggs, and they waited it out until Buffalo came along and offered a nice package. On the other hand, Bill O'Brien in Houston, he was willing to move on from DeAndre Hopkins. There was no public, um, nothing public made by DeAndre Hopkins that he wanted to get out, and still Bill O'Brien trades him. Um, On the week of free agency for a second-round pick and a bad running back contract, it's a terrible trade that nobody agrees with, literally nobody agrees with, and it just looks terrible. So is Bill O'Brien fit to be a general manager? They say patience is key. It doesn't look like he had any patience in this trade. He could have for sure waited a little bit until a better offer came along, and he clearly did not do that. So what do you think?
1: Well, yeah, I think... You know, every situation is going to be a little bit different um, depending on what time of the year uh, we're in. But going back to the Laramie Tunsil trade, for example, it was very apparent that they needed a left tackle. And when you make those decisions, um, and unfortunately I've been in there a couple of times in my career, you you have to pay whatever price you have to to get a transaction done. So um, every situation is a little bit different, but I, I, I think that's a fair question to say, you know, what was the rush to get, you know, Hopkins out the door that
0: fast? Yeah exactly Mike. I mean I don't understand it either. 27 year old wide receiver arguably the best wide receiver in all of football and they trade him for not that much and the thing that confuses me is that there were no other top wide receivers available on the free agent market. It's not like he had to trade away Hopkins because a team they were talking to could shift over and sign somebody else in free agency. There were no other top wide receivers available on the free agency market. Nobody um, as good as DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, the whole thing really does not make sense, and I'll be watching the Texans very closely next year to see how it all unfolds. Now, I want to move on to the NFL draft, and obviously, things are very different this year with the coronavirus. The draft is happening as originally scheduled. If you were a GM right now in the NFL, would you want the NFL to postpone the draft for a few weeks or a month?
1: I, I would, and you know, for me, um, the context of what's going on in the world right now, uh, really, you know, unfortunately we really got to pay attention to it. Uh, in my career, um, you know, I've seen nine 11, unfortunately, hurricane Sandy, which was a very significant event in the greater metropolitan New York area. Um, and I think a situation like this, look, it's going to be the same for all 32 teams. So competitively, I'm sure the league is saying, well, look, you know, nobody's going to be, you know, Uh, benefit or hurt more than the other. So it's still an equal playing field. But I just think, given this, you know, the sentiment of what's going on in our country right now, um, almost to a historic nature, there's a time and a place. And if we would push draft back, you know, let's say a month, so hopefully we can get back to some semblance of order, hopefully, um, then I think that's a great month, uh, you know, worth to invest in. Now, with that said, uh, presumably, I think what the league would say that is like, well, we don't know what the world's going to look like in a month and this way let's get this behind us so when we're up and running again you know things we have the draft behind us so I think that's why the league would say hey let's keep it going but I, I don't know just given you're seeing all these deaths just keep piling up and it's just you know like everybody else it's it's hard to watch it's scary and you're concerned about your fellow citizens so um Look, I'm getting ready for the draft. You know, with ESPN, it's a privilege to be part of it, and we'll certainly be ready to go. Um, but if I was with a team, you know, I, I would have preferred to have the draft move back at least a month.
0: How are teams getting ready for this draft? Like everyone is working from home right now, how are teams getting ready for this thing, and how will it be on draft day itself?
1: Well, you know that's what's interesting. You know, and let's just take Mickey Loomis. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it comes out publicly that you know, Sean Payton tested positive for the virus. And if I'm Mickey Loomis, the general manager of the New Orleans Saints, I'm very worried about Sean and his family. And once that's done, then you quickly pivot back to the team because we're sitting here Ari, in January of 2021. I promise you, um, no one's going to be like, well, you know, that, that coach or that GM, you know, they went two and 14, they deserve the bed for the doubt because of the virus. No one cares. Um, You know, it's you either produce or you don't. So, once you know that your organization is safe, their families are safe, you quickly pivot to the the task at hand, which is to try to prepare for the draft the best you can.
0: What about draft day? April 23rd comes. How are teams going to do this? Because there are so many different factors. How is it going to work out?
1: I don't really know. I mean, I think part of it you could obviously do virtually and, you know, Zoom and, and certainly those are things that we've, uh, you know, we're doing right now and that's kind of been the new normal I, the, the one thing I don't understand myself is you know sitting in that seat for a while is if you're if you're sitting there and you got the 10th pick in the draft you're speaking to teams seven eight nine somebody on your staff is and you're talking to teams 11 to 14 because hey are we better off you know moving up for a couple of spots or are we better off moving back a couple of spots and picking up a pick here so um <clears throat> It's just, uh, you know, everything is a context, but I just don't understand how you can do that without at least having three or four people in a room at the same time and saying, yes, we're going to trade up or no, we're not. And oh, by the way, you also have to get the league office on the phone and um, quickly make a decision. So I I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I think the preparation within reason can get done. I'm confident of that. I think zoom and, Video conferencing isn't the same, but but is certainly uh, plausible. But the dr- actual draft day, the, that one I, I, I don't get.
0: Based off everything you just said, do you think there are going to be less trades in this year's draft because of all the circumstances?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I, I think the inverse is probably more appropriate, which is how can you make a trade? Um, maybe they're baked in the night before. Uh, Maybe you talk to one team, but that's about it. You know, I always wanted to collect as much information to make the best decision possible. So um, I think that's a really, really fair point.
0: Wow, I mean, that is just going to be fascinating to watch because it is just going to be so different, not just for us, the audience, but for teams and the league office, how they get all of this settled. Now, when the time does come on April 23rd, the Bengals will have the number one overall pick, and we all expect it to be Joe Burrow there are reports out of Miami that the dolphins will try to trade up for that pick. If you were in Cincinnati right now, and the dolphins come calling. Are you considering anything? The dolphins are throwing at you.
1: I just, it has nothing to do with any other team except me. And I, I would take the player. Um, I think for Cincinnati, Ari, it really just aligns almost like historically. Well, you know, from a standpoint of when you look at, they need a quarterback, you know, any Dalton's time there has presumably run its course. And, um, Joe Burrow's Ohio native. He was durable. He was incredibly productive. He's high character. Um, I think it just lines up really well for them.
0: Yeah, that was what I was thinking also. Take Burrow, that's your quarterback for the future, and move on. But then again, the Dolphins have three first-round picks, two second-round picks. They have two first-round picks next year. They have two second-round picks next year. I mean, they are loaded with draft capital. Um, If Miami comes calling, we'll see what happens. Now, speaking of Miami, they got a bunch of those picks that I just mentioned from the Laramie Tunsil trade. Tunsil was on ESPN's NFL Live um, last week, and he said that he wants... To be the highest-paid offensive lineman in the NFL. Now you drafted Laramie Tunsil in Miami. That was one of the most insane draft moments ever. Could you take us back to that night and how it all happened?
1: Well, I think it's really um, it's about preparation, and you know, unfortunately, you know, Laramie had to hit a bump in the road, and a video came out at the wrong time for him. But he was very high up on our board, and for us we saw it as an opportunity so we fell back on our process our preparation we felt really good about the player and the person and when he was sitting there at 13 we turned it in and it turned out to be a great decision because you know he's turned out to be a very good player obviously and um, you know they obviously traded him for for good value but um I think it's just a great lesson and if we're sitting here a month from today I promise you we will sit here and say can you believe these five things happened in the first round um And that's what's great about the draft. If you think about it, it's the ultimate reality show. The most popular sport in our country is pro football. The second most popular sport in our country is college football. And the draft is a confluence of those two things.
0: I want to ask you one more thing on Laramie because, again, that draft moment was just so wild. I remember the week or two before the draft, the talk was Chargers at three or Ravens at six. At what point at draft night did you realize that there is a chance that he might drop to us at 13?
1: Probably like eight or nine. I think once he got past uh, Baltimore, and, and Baltimore took um, the tackle from uh, Notre Dame. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, once he took Ryan Stanley, we knew that this was like a real possibility. And then it just started to unfold from there. And um, once it got down to like you know 9, 10, 11, you know, we, we quickly – Look, went all the way back to his area scouting reports. You know, and we had really good information, really good scouts that had been through there numerous times and just felt like, hey, this was a good person that made a mistake.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned preparation. I mean, Fans don't get to see how much preparation really goes into a draft, the amount of work that scouts do, the amount of work that your staff does to get ready for the three day event of a draft. There is so much work that goes into it year round and it clearly came in handy for Laramie Tunsil because you guys knew that whatever you saw in the video is not really the person you're going to get when you guys made that pick and he clearly came out to be a very good player for the Dolphins and he's a really good player now for the Texans and he is going to get paid as the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. I want to go even further back to your Jets days and I've said this for a while that you don't get enough credit for the 06 and 07 drafts. You drafted DeBrickashaw Ferguson and Mangled in the first round in 06 those were your first two picks you also got Leon Washington in that draft an electric player and you also got Brad Smith in that draft who I call the Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill I mean he did a lot of different things for that team and then in 07 you trade up for Darrell Revis, one of the best corners ever and you also draft David Harris I want to talk to you a little bit about Darrell Revis because in 2010 he was not at training camp, and it was such a big story. That was the year you guys were on Hard Knocks. Could you take me back to that camp, and how intense things really got?
1: Yeah, I mean that's one of those things where, boy, you really don't want uh, your best player to hold out, and then you know it all play out on national TV. So um, it did. Um, and look, he was a, a great player. He was a perfect fit for the scheme we were running. We were playing a, a to- like a ton of man-to-man. And, you know, earlier we talked about the scheme fit with Byron Jones. This was a similar situation where Revis was um, a perfect fit for the way we are playing defense under Coach Ryan. So we wanted him. He knew it. He outplayed his contract. We wanted to reward him for that. And, you know, we just really struggled with figuring out what that was. Um, and really what you see is what you got. And it became a, uh, a true organizational effort. You know, one funny thing was there was one time there was a meeting and our PR guy was, you know, around the table. And, you know, I think the other PR guys in the league find him for, you know, being on the show. And, um, (laughs) but it was, uh, it was great. It was a a much better experience than I thought. Um, You know, it just, players really compete when the cameras are around and we wound up going to the uh, AFC championship game this year, that year. So, you know, from that standpoint, it was um, not a distraction. It actually, helped bring the team together in some way that I never really could have thought it would have. And, um, you know, in terms of Darrell, we worked our tails off, finally got to a spot that we all felt was appropriate given how good he was and given the fact that he did have a couple of years left on his deal. And that one really worked out well and, you know, proud that we drafted and we traded up for him. And it's interesting Ari, because he was a late declaring junior. He, he came out of the old big East And there weren't a lot of good receivers that year, so we didn't even know how good he was. He didn't run at the combine. He had an unbelievable pro day at Pitt. But what really gave us the confidence to trade up, that there was two other corners that went in the first round that year, uh, Aaron Ross from Texas and Leon Hall from Michigan. And we had Darrell over those two guys because, in part, he had an unbelievable visit. He came from a great family. He was a real family guy, close with his mom, and um, that visit – which unfortunately clubs can't do this year. um, It was one of the reasons we had comfort to trade up for him.
0: By the way, did you guys trade up for Revis because the Steelers were up next? Like, obviously, Revis is from Pittsburgh, went to Pitt. Was that something on your mind or no?
1: No, it's because we had a great relationship with the Panthers and we could get to 14 and we felt like the price was reasonable and we reached an agreement in principle the night before that trade and basically our deal was like, we're going to come up for one player if he's there and if he's there, here's what we'll do. And when you're on the clock, we're not going to try to get it for less, but the reverse is if the player is there and you're still looking to trade, you're not going to ask for more. So we reached an agreement in principle and um, it was an easy thing because the player was there. We did the trade that we had. uh, We executed the trade we agreed to the night before. And again, that, that one worked out well.
0: Now that you mention that, Mike, it makes me wonder if teams are going to try to do that this year and try to strike a deal the night before the draft and not have to wait until they're on the clock.
1: I think so. And I think, you know, it has to be with teams. Let's face it, Ari, that there's a lot of trust and confidence between the two because you're, you're making, let's face it, in the first round, huge, huge decisions for your franchise. And there has to be a lot of comfort to say that, hey, when the rubber meets the road, we have a deal here and neither side's going to change it and that we're both comfortable with the terms of this trade. And basically it's going to be conditioned upon, you know, if one or two players are there and that's it. And um, I've done that a few times in my career. And again, you just have to do it with somebody that you know, isn't going to change at the last minute.
0: You know, I've always wondered, and it's a good thing that you mentioned that you guys would make deals the night before if teams doing such deals ever think about the possibility that talks are happening and it leaks out to the public, it leaks out to a reporter. Do you guys ever think about that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yes. But typically uh, your circle is so small and that's why like, you know, when I've done it, it doesn't get out because um, you, it, there's just a handful of people. Typically it's your head coach, your owner, and maybe, you know, one or two people in the personnel department and it's the same on the other side. Um, and, and also, too, like by the time those things get finalized, um, you know it's pretty close to draft day. Um, I had one with uh, Mark Sanchez in 09 where we traded up from 17 to 5, and that trade was basically done the night before as well. And candidly, we were just sweating out. Sanchez getting drafted by uh, Seattle at 4. They took Aaron Curry, the linebacker, and um, once Sanchez made it to 5, we knew we, we were going to trade up from 17 to get him. but no one knew that we were going to go up that high and nobody was even had their radar out.
0: Yeah. And you bring up Sanchez. Another thing that I remember pretty well from those jets days was obviously we all got to see Tom Brady become a free agent this off season. You were there with the jets when Peyton Manning was a free agent. And I remember there were reports that you guys had interest. Now nothing really became serious there. What exactly happened when that was going on?
1: Uh, we, we, we didn't have an interest. Um, You know, Payne was obviously a great player and all, and um, there wasn't really a lot to that. So I don't know, you know, what reports you may be referring to.
0: Well, okay, that kind of settles it, I guess. I probably shouldn't say it was a report, like an official report. I think it was more speculation that the Jets might go after Peyton Manning. And um, obviously that never happened, never came to fruition. But um, it was it was something that was making the rounds back then. But it never became something serious.
1: I'm sure there could have been a lot of speculation about it. But um, you know that that was really never the focus we had.
0: Okay then, I guess. Let's move on to this last topic that I have over here. And again, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on here today to talk and chat a little bit. I've always really wondered this. Do GMs have a pulse of what the fan base is thinking or talking about? Like, do GMs check social media to see what is happening, what is being said? I count only three current GMs who have a Twitter account. It's John L.A., John Lynch, and Jason Lech. Do GMs check what is happening?
1: So here's what I would say, generally speaking, and um, I was the assistant GM of the Jeffs for five years before I came to GM. And, I'll, and I will say that to the extent that when you get, when you have one of these jobs, it impacts the people around you way more than it impacts you because first of all, you're incredibly busy doing the job. Um, and look, nobody wakes up and says, all right, boy, I can't wait to get criticized today. You know, who's, gonna, who's criticizing me about what today? But it does impact your family. Um, because your loved ones care about you and they're, you know, monitoring those things much more carefully than you are. So you are made aware. Oftentimes it's uh, secondhand um, and you try to ignore it. And I always felt like as hard as these jobs were and as complicated as they are, I always, in my mind, for me, I always try to simplify it and say, Hey, look, no matter what we're doing and you're sitting in a fishbowl, you know, especially like when you're in New York, um and everybody has an opinion as long as the head coach and owner understand and are on the same page really nothing else matters everything else is noise um and that's the way I always it. and um I always hey I'm gonna work my tail off we're gonna try and do the right things for the right reasons we're gonna make our fair share of mistakes you know you have 90 players there's no way you're gonna back 90 for 90 not even the best in the Hall of Fame GMs have been able to do that and if our head coach and our owner understand what we're doing and they they're they're on the same page, then regardless, it, there's so much noise out there you just can't let it bother you. And sometimes, candidly, that's easier said than done. You know, nobody likes unfair criticism. It's uh, but it comes with the territory. So um, that's you gotta just take the good with the bad in life.
0: Yeah, Mike, and really the only reason I asked you that question is because, especially in this day and age where everyone has social media, many people do, and they, a lot of everyone tries to express their opinion about everything and anything going on, and they all can say whatever they want by pressing a button, and people don't really realize that. You coaches and GMs and um, people in the front office, you guys all have families, you have a wife, you have kids, that they all could be seeing what you are saying. And obviously, it's not going to change, but these people are just so negative um, and they just, you know, they don't even realize what they're writing sometimes. And I was wondering if general managers um, at all take a look or take a peek at what is being said about what they're doing, about that move they made, about that signing they did. But um, overall, you're right. I mean, no one can be perfect. Just do your job and hope for the best. Mike, I really appreciate you coming on here today on the podcast. Be well, stay safe, and we'll talk again soon.
1: Okay, thanks for having me.
0: Special thanks to Mike Tannenbaum for joining me on the podcast this week. Make sure to give him a follow on Twitter and on Instagram. It is at Real Tannenbaum. He really does put out some great football content. And also catch him on ESPN throughout the week as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. That does it for this week's My Sports Update Football Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. If you haven't done so yet, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. All of it is greatly appreciated. I am your host, Ari Merov. I will be back for another episode next week with another special guest. Until then, please stay safe, stay indoors, keep doing all the things that our doctors and scientists and experts are telling us to do. Together, we will get through this COVID-19 pandemic. I'll talk to you all next week.